Welcome back, friends and family, to another episode of the Backdoor Cut Show, brought to you by the Barnburner Podcast Network. Also, you can read our stuff at the-barnburner.com, and also listen to us on Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. Thanks for being here with us tonight on this Sunday, or whenever you hear this show. Uh, You have me, Zach, Mason, and Sam, and today we're going to talk some Taylor Jenkins, kind of discuss our opinions of how he did this year. We're going to talk the dates uh, for the potential start dates for the NBA in this upcoming season. Will it be delayed or how, how long will it be delayed? And then also we're going to do a little round robin for the top three of the 2020 NBA draft. Sam, how are you doing? I'm good, man. Had a good week. Um, the weekend was, was short, just sold my couch on Facebook marketplace today. Cause we got new furniture coming in. So that's always a fascinating experience fielding all these inquiries and basically haggling on uh, Facebook messenger. Uh, but we, uh, we got furniture coming in this week. And the thing about the, the, uh, ordering Macy's furniture is there's apparently been like a shortage of furniture cause there's been a shortage of lumber. So everything got pushed back. So our furniture didn't come in for like a month late. Um, but that's the first world problem. But anyway, we have an empty ass living room and it's really weird. Uh, so I think I'm going to bring in some camping chairs and sit in those. But like we have three days without a couch. And I'll say that's like a, a weird thing to not have. And I don't know if I've ever gone like days without having a couch in my living room. Yeah, I, I would agree. I don't think I've been there. It's going to feel like you're living back in college where you like wait until someone can donate a couch to you or you're just like in this no man's land of furniture like you just moved out of your parents or out of your dorm room or something and you have to like actually furnish it yourself that's like that that no man's land i don't really know what to do uh, in that situation so you got the camping chairs and like the coolers and stuff that you're sitting on but usually we'd be the one buying the couch you know on facebook marketplace and most of my houses we bought the secondhand furniture this was brand new delivered and so it's like we're in this this weird spot. But it was nice to get a little money for it, save for the honeymoon fund. Don't know where we're going to go. Uh, kind of depends on this, you know, this, this pandemic that's going on. But we're just like stuffing away in a drawer and busted out to buy pina coladas if we're in a tropical destination. <laughs> Mason, what's, what's going on with you, Mason? Man? Hey, man, I'm just thinking I can relate to not having a couch. When uh, my wife and I first moved to California, we had an air mattress as a couch for several months because she had one specific couch that we had to get. And, um, you know, like Sam is experiencing, it was on back order and it took months and it turned into almost a year that we went without a couch and uh, my back what? is still suffering from it. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. She was so, so specific. And I was like, we can just get a cheap one and then toss it out when, you know, this one's available, but she was, she was not having it. And, uh, as you know, we don't get much say in the decisions anymore. So it is what it is. We made it work. Uh, it was a great place to take a nap. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so you were you were on an air mattress, and I've lived in your living room before on an air mattress. So I've sat on an air mattress with my back to the wall before, <laughs> using it as an impromptu couch. And I'll tell you, not the most comfortable or ergonomically satisfying thing to do. Yeah, we had a we had another chair, luckily, but uh, yeah, rough times for for the ergs. Yeah, man, that's a. Uh, and I'm like 31 now. So everything, every little injury, you know, I'm like going on the disabled list for a while. Like, it's not like I'm just bouncing back. Uh, it's tough. So I'm, I'm thinking about that now. I'm not sitting in these camping chairs a lot. I think I'll watch a lot less TV. Might walk around the neighborhood a little more. Could end up being, a, you know, a nice uh, a nice uh, couple week, couple days for old Sam. 
So the question is, say you just played a six-game series and you're feeling how you feel, how soon could you return to not sitting on a couch again? Uh, this this has now become a baseball slash furniture metaphor um, that I'm ill-prepared to, to come up uh, with a rapid-fire response. Um, uh, so I'm just going to say two days. I was more or less trying to segue into the NBA stuff. Potentially starting in December twenty second, but oh, that's I good. Guess that that's, that didn't land, I suppose. Well, I, yeah, for some reason, I thought like uh, you know a six game series. I was like thinking about baseball, maybe because that was the most recent thing I watched. And you're right; it could have very easily been basketball. I'm sorry, I missed that. Um, that's okay. well, let's start though, rather than the, the scheduling. Um, you know, we are, of course, a Grizzly-centric podcast, and we are going to talk NBA at large at some point. But one thing we haven't done yet as a Grizzlies podcast is and we've done it kind of in text and just amongst ourselves but not on the air let's talk about the grizzlies head coach taylor jenkins first season under his belt first season as a head coach in general as well uh spent a time with the spurs kind of interning then, then entered the, the on basketball ops of business ops side then kind of entered the coaching realm um was a, a, a kind of a protege under pop for a while then ultimately went over to work for budenholzer in atlanta and followed budenholzer to um over to the bucks and um in uh, uh, Milwaukee and has sort of just bounced around is kind of the, is kind of the archetype of the analytics uh, a little bit of the, let me work with the front office and not buck heads because I don't have any sort of like previous resume. Um, and of course interned and, and, and coached with a lot of coaches that are known as good coaches in the league, um, but was sort of an, uh, a not splashy, but intelligent hire, I would say when it first happened. And I don't think anyone disagreed with it. Um, but now we've got, you know, a, a season under our belts. What would you give Taylor Jenkins, Zach, uh, on a letter grade scale, plus or minus, uh, for his his efforts this season leading the Grizzlies? I would say somewhere between – I'll give him a B plus. There was no – I didn't see, like – I didn't feel like there was too many red flags. Yeah, we had some issues get, working some guys into the rotation, like Josh Jackson – and then we decided not to play them. I don't know if there's something going on behind the scenes there, and that played into that a lot. But if you think about more of like a culture piece or a mindset of what he set out to do at the beginning of the season, saying, you know, we're going to conform, we're going to be the team that pushes the pace, that shoots a lot of threes, uh, I think that we definitely moved in that direction a lot. Um, our pace increased dramatically uh, over since last year and offensive rating increased a little bit. Our defense, not so much having a younger team kind of hurt us there, but he really gave guys the green light to shoot. And you could see that in Crowder. I think that's probably like the number one example of someone who he's like, just shoot at it whenever you can, whenever you think you're open, whenever you're anywhere near being open. And he never discouraged that. It was always continue to do that. You know, the shots will fall. It will we'll get there eventually. It wasn't pretty at first. And there were some spurts that were really ugly with that because you crash like 12 threes and make two of them. You're not going to win many games like that. But just really getting that, the mindset to everyone, especially the younger guys, that it's okay to do that. And that, you know, that's how we want to play in the future. And we have to start somewhere, even if it's not working so well uh, at the beginning. So I think that was one thing he really stuck with. Plus, it seems like he really has the guy's backs in a lot of respects. You know, if you just listen to him talk, he really seems to 
have like strong beliefs in how he wants his team to be run. And he really, he sticks to those. He backs his guys. And I think that's, that's really important, especially for those young players. And he's young, what he's in his mid thirties or something like that. I don't remember off the top of my head his age, but yeah, like uh, late thirties. Yeah. So he's not a super old guy. So he's able to relate, you know, pretty closely as close as he can to these guys and doing his best job there. So uh, I, I felt like it was for someone that, I mean, unless you're really in tune with basketball, you know, coaching trees and everything, which I assume most people didn't know that much about Taylor Jenkins until he became our head coach, at least most Grizzlies fans, including myself, then you have to be pretty pleased with, you know, the outcome of the season for the most part, I think. Yeah, we knew him before he got to the Grizzlies as the coach that was on the Bucks bench who went viral for right. like essentially doing like uh, foot fires and and keeping the guys from running onto the court, of which no one actually tried to run the court. So he ended up just kind of like shuffling back and forth with, with no urgency while nothing happened, which was really funny. Um, Mason, I feel like you're you're over here. You're tough grader. I think you'll be tough but fair, but I think you're the college professor that's going to not bump you up from a minus to to a even A um, to help your GPA. So let me let me hear your grade of Taylor Jenkins for this season. Well, you know, like you guys have already hit on coming into this season, it was a com complete unknown um, what Taylor Jenkins would bring to this team, bring to this city, bring to this fr franchise as a whole. And uh, I got to say, overall, we, we should be feeling pretty good about the hire that was made last offseason based on the results we saw this year. The main, the top priority for this season was getting John Morant comfortable in the NBA. And then the second priority was make, getting him and Jaron acclimated to how Taylor Jenkins and this team want to play moving forward. And like Zach hit on with Jay Crowder firing up shots, as well as uh, our very own D Dylan Brooks. And then later, once we got into the bubble, Grayson Allen kind of assumed that role. Solomon Hill wasn't scared to shoot it. We even saw Valanciunas get some shots. And uh, we saw Jaron shooting, you know, more threes than any seven-footer in the history of the game. Mm, so yeah. I think from the standpoint of coming in, laying the template for how he wants to play moving forward, uh, although I disagreed with it early on when we were sucking, we couldn't make any shots, I still um, don't think that, it was in the best interest of the team for this season. And maybe we could have snuck into the playoffs if, you know, we had tailored our early game plans more to fit, you know, go through JV a little more than what we were doing. But I don't, I didn't really care about making the playoffs until we got into the race. And that, that was just like a plus of the season. So uh, just coming in, setting that tempo. Um, I, I think he really had a good job. One thing that, irked the shit out of me was his refusal to challenge calls. Ah, I mean, it was just time and time again, you know, there, there's so many times it's like, what the hell? You might as well challenge it. You're going to lose this time out that you're probably not going to use anyway. Um, so th that that's probably my biggest knock on him. And then um, after seeing a coach like Dave Yeager, who just consistently draws up awesome plays out of timeouts um, sideline inbounds plays and things like that. I didn't think Jenkins and his staff showed a whole lot uh, from that standpoint. But again, it's a young team, and maybe you can't throw too much at them on the fly. And, and you know, when a coach is in the huddle, 
drawing up the play, nine times out of 10, that play doesn't get ran exactly like it was drawn up in the huddle. So especially with the young team, guys like Dylan Brooks and, uh, you know, guys who are not going to maybe listen because they're trying so hard to win and they think they know how to win. Um, but just at this stage of their career, they probably don't. So they're fucking up some plays here and there. But all in all, yeah, I, I'm not mad at the B plus. I, I'll probably, you know, just because Sam kind of in the in the in, intro labeled me a tough grader, I'll just give him a B. But all in all, I'm happy with Taylor Jenkins. Uh, excited about the future. And I mean, that's not to say these next two three years he won't flame the fuck out. But uh, based on one season, uh, solid job. So, do you think he overachieved, underachieved, or properly achieved with? this past season oh overachieved no doubt i mean who could have expected us to be in the play-in game no one because there was no play-in game scheduled in the preseason but just to be no in one. you know the the ninth or eighth position fighting for a playoff spot at the end of the year you can't do anything but take your hat off and you know say that was a damn good job and it was shown in him getting some votes for coach of the year no first place votes, but his peers did recognize the job he did and the job this franchise did as a whole on this season who, when we came in, we, we were expecting to meet the under in the Vegas win totals, which was like less than 30. So hell yeah, they, they definitely overachieved. The win total was 27 and a half and the Grizzlies ended up at 34 wins. And that was with nine less games than would have happened, which surely they would have won a couple more, just even the ratio of their win percentage. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they they definitely overachieved. He definitely, if you count wins and losses, is like kind of the ultimate success or failure of a season. That's like the – that's kind of the, how many questions did you get right, the very basic grade. Um, so I think uh, I think that's right. I, I'm honestly going to give him a B-. minus. Mason hit on a couple of things that really bugged me. I, I think that – anyone that's unwilling to use the tools given to them for whatever reason is illogical and, and kind of doesn't make sense to me. Seems like the type of guy that would strategically use those. He's such so, a smart guy, right? <laughs> it's, it's bizarre, which got me thinking, okay, he surely thinks there's a reason not to do it. Then He thinks there is a reason. He specifically has a reason why he's purposely not doing it because he was drastically the smallest challenger of the season amongst all NBA coaches. And when I say drastically, I mean the like Nick nurse challenge, like 18 times, uh, and then he was like three. I mean, it was like just microscopic. And, and, and you know, you saw all the other coaches. And in fact, most of the coaches that are thought of as the best coaches in the league were at the top of that list. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, it's a direct causation thing, but it's, it's basically the coaches using the tools that are given to them. And this segues me with my greatest issue with Taylor Jenkins is I, I don't know. I think he has the respect of his peers. I think he has the respect of his players for now. Um, I think that a lot of a lot of what he did was because John Jaron got better than anyone thought they would. Uh, well, maybe yeah. John didn't get better, but he was better. And Jaron took a leap that no one thought he would as kind of like a potentially 20 plus per game scorer, which no one thought was going to be his perk. In fact, I actually read his draft profile uh, tonight because I was looking at this year's draft and clicked on 2018. So I was like, this will be funny to read Lucas thing and like uh, everyone's draft profile. And uh, Jaron's was basically like, you know, factors is basically a three and D center. Not a, not a major scorer, not a big-time scorer, can make a couple threes, but his big impact is going to be on defense. And I was like, that's really interesting. Uh, they did hit on his foul thing uh, even then. Apparently he had, was a horrible fouler in college, and they talked about it. Um, but anyway, I, I, th I think that you know that was part of it. I think that the, the win total was mostly due to job being like automatically 
a you know a top ten point guard arguably uh, in the league as a as a rookie. Um, but to me, like, I don't think he has the respect of the officials, and that might just be him being like a no name. But the, in order to get that, I, I have this theory that you have to be an asshole. And I think the best coaches in the leagues are total assholes in their own way to the officials, and they demand respect, and they also demand respect to their players. You know, we saw Fizz give that ridiculous speech that honestly fired everyone up. You know, they want, they're not going to rook us. Uh, I think the Grizzlies get rooked anyway a lot, more than some franchises, given just their small marketness. Um, that might be just me as a fan. And I think that it's going to require a coach to really call the officials out and keep them honest uh, when, you know, Jaw's not getting the calls that the other guys, other point guards are getting just because he's a rookie. Um, and I don't think he excels as that. In fact, I, he very rarely got a technical. He very rarely ever like chatted to the officials. And when he did, he kind of did it in like a little bit too of a nice guy uh, attitude where I think he could get waved off. Um, I'm, I'm saying all this to say he kind of strikes me as a beta a little bit in a, in a profession made of mostly alphas and that he seems like he'd be a great assistant and has been, but I don't know if he's a good in the head chair. Now, maybe he hires someone to be the bulldog, um, but I, I just don't ever see him growing into that role. And that's something that really worries me when you need a guy that fights for your guys and eventually gets them the calls that they deserve. So and to, to me, that that's what I think he's not fouling, you know, challenging the calls. I think he wants to be extraordinarily nice to the officials and maybe go the nice guy route, but that, that just doesn't work in this league when, on the other side of the bench, you got Doc Rivers barking the whole game. You got Nick Nurse pleading the whole game. You know, even Brad Stevens has his own thing um, where he he kind of does the nice guy thing. And I don't know if that works. You know, Brad Stevens has kind of fallen a little bit, I think, in people's opinions. All this to say, I, I, all the positives you said, I retweet. But I, I, just, I don't know. Like, I'm a little bit worried about that. I don't think you can change the guy's personality. Um, but I think he his out-of-timeouts were good. That's something I always notice. Zach always... Anytime we watch the game together, I always like try to mention if they score out of a timeout or if the play was like decent, I always say, oh, we scored out of a timeout or like that looked like a good play. Maybe it got blown up, but it looked like I could see what they were trying to do. And uh, I did notice that was good. Um, so I think like all of the other factors, you know, win total, synergy with the front office. Um, obviously, they they really picked him after a long search and and seemed to personally get along with him. Wex and, uh, and Kleiman and him seem to get along on a personal level and almost kind of like a business strategy level. They're kind of all business guys at heart that are kind of running this as a small business, which is what it is. Uh, but that's the approach they seem to be taking. Anyway, I, I'll i look to see what happens going forward. Um, what's a successful season look like for Taylor Jenkins next season? Assuming well, no, no moves are made. Well, first, let me hit on a couple other <clears throat> negatives that we kind of glossed over. Um, he refused to take Kyle Anderson out of the starting lineup <laughs> all season. Uh, and that drove me crazy. And then he kind of refused to make defensive changes throughout the games, um, especially with Valanchunas playing the drop defense. Uh, if you had someone who could score in that mid-range game, that person could get 40 points on us because we weren't going to make the adjustment to come up uh, on that screen closer to the three-point line. We're just giving them – jump shots at the free throw line. Um, and then, you know, offensively, sometimes we kind of got bogged down and, and continued to play the jack it up game where maybe we should have slowed it down and started trying to play through Valanchunas a little more, um, just kind of exercising the offensive tools that we have. So just a few more negatives before we move on. Uh, Zach, you can answer that question about a uh, successful season for next year. Uh, successful season for next year. So this year, the guys won 34 games uh, with only with on a limited schedule. 
75 or 73 or something yeah 73 it looks like um so i would say probably in the like 38 38 to 40 range i think would be i I'm, this is obviously like based on an 82 game schedule which not for sure if that's what we're gonna get so that kind of percentage hovering around that that 500 mark at the end of the season i think is where where you like to see Memphis taking a, at least a half step up uh, and pretend, you know, could be up to like a 44, 45 game. If we wins, if I think the season goes really how you'd like to see it. Uh, so not like I'm not going to cast some huge bar for the team to get over next season to say like, Hey, things are on the right track. As long as I can see a little bit of progress in that right direction, then I, I think that's what, would be successful to me. Tough to say that after, you know, we blew the projections out of the water for this year. That goes back to Jaw. Now we know or have a pretty good idea of how good Jaw actually is. So we should be able to base a lot of the team uh, around that. The Winslow piece is still a big wild card. Never seen him play with Memphis. So he could, it could come out and be amazing and be five games right there just because we have a huge, gaping hole that he's able to fill or we he could not necessarily work out so much come maybe be someone that comes off the bench and is only worth you know a couple extra wins to the team uh, but I think that's kind of the range that I'm looking for next season yeah I think that makes sense uh, any other thoughts on Taylor Jenkins before we move on to the uh, the New Jersey's we saw no, the, uh, the new city jerseys uh, dropped and the, they mimic the 2001 first season in Memphis when the young Jason Williams, Pal Gasol Grizzlies entered the, the, the Memphis pyramid at that time and began their uh, their period here in Memphis. We, this is, of course, the 20th, uh, the 20th anniversary of the team making its move to Memphis, which is hence the jerseys coming out. Um, they are the kind of plain Memphis font block font. Memphis across the jerseys while using the same colors as the, uh, the the Vancouver Grizzlies. They still have the teal in there with a, a really dark blue. Um, there's some even I seen red or orange in the jerseys as well. They're they're pretty clean looking. Uh, they're not net really flashy, but I've always liked them for whatever reason. It might just be pure nostalgia. Uh, they dropped with a, a Morant jersey. We saw Ja retweeted it and said they look cold as hell, which is really all I care about is if, if the players like them. Um, cause then they, they tend to just enjoy playing in them and that, that helps a, a young team. Uh, so w- what do we think of the, uh, the new city jerseys? Mason, did, is this a, is this a, a pro? Do you think it's better than the Vancouver jerseys or are you feeling their lackluster? Uh, no, I mean, I love these jerseys. I've got a few in my closet right now. Um, that's one, one of, I think I like them more than the Vancouver just simply because they say Memphis across the chest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think they're one of our top two or three jerseys of all time. Zach. I think I like the teal ones better just because they seem they're more like retro feeling and they're, they're more flashy and they stick out to people. I think Memphis fans can appreciate these black ones more so than, you know, the broader NBA community, but they, they're just very, they're very nostalgic. They're very clean. And I mean, I, I really like them. I, it, we're not trying to do something super out of the box, you know, for this, this rendition, uh, kind of going with something that we know, a oldie, but a goodie. And I mean, I'm excited to bring them around again. I like them too. I think that, uh, you know, we've got a, 
Jersey seller and John Morant, we saw he was a you know top 15 Jersey seller, I think, nationally, you know, behind the names like Kyrie Irving and Damian Lillard in terms of point guards, uh, So, which is fucking insane if you really think about it. I know we've mentioned it before, but that is like honestly insane to have a rookie do that uh, in a market like Memphis. Uh, so well, I think that this jersey is going to sell like hotcakes when it eventually goes live uh, on, the, on the NBA interwebs and in the store, too. Yeah, hopefully Nike makes enough jaw jerseys. You know, with the Vancouver ones, it was a struggle to find jaw jerseys. So hopefully they uh, realize that he's going to sell and they prepare adequately. But uh, while we're on the jerseys, like out of all the Grizzlies jerseys, what is your favorite? Is it that Vancouver one? Uh, you know, we've had the Memphis Sounds, the MLK, the black sleeved ones, the I Am A Man jerseys that were white, uh, the Tams. <laughs> the green and uh, the green and yellow ones. Uh, so what what what's your favorite? I know everybody loved the sounds. I mean, just because they were so clean and seventies looking. Yeah, yeah, very very like ABA looking. Yeah, that's uh, the red jerseys with the with the yeah. white bubble letters. Um, I, I like. I actually. I mean, not, I'm going to take a left turn here, but I, I always liked the Tams jerseys. I remember distinctly a picture of Rudy Gay <laughs> dunking the ball in the Tams, and I thought they were like just different. And they really reminded me of APA. It looked like a team that like didn't even really belong in the NBA was playing. And at that point, maybe our personnel was kind of the same. Probably <laughs> maybe wasn't up to snuff. But uh, I, I liked them. I like green and yellow. I, like had a John Deere look to it. I think I had like a John Deere trucker hat in high school at that point. Um, so just you know, just bear with me there. Man, those jerseys were awful. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, that's just Cuts like in high opinion, school man. colors. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Zach? Hmm. I think I'm trying to pull up some right now to jog my memory that outside of the ones that you mentioned, I mean, the teal ones, I think yeah, that's going to be first great. place, yeah. first place for me at this point. Uh, some of the newer ones, like the all, like the all whites and the all, you know, Beale street blue we have, they're, they're pretty, whatever. There's nothing super fancy to them. Uh, oddly enough, I really like the one, the, what year was it? Two years ago, the wrestling ones, the the ones that look just like the Pacers, like they just ripped oh, off. Oh, those the gray ones? Yeah, I, I like those a, uh, a pretty good amount, even after I realized that they look just like the Pacers uniforms. Yeah. Then we, we also had the Memphis Pros that were navy and red. Those were some good ones. Um, so, what do you like, Mason? Uh, I like the Vancouver and the the 20th anniversary Memphis ones that we're going back to, as as well as the sounds. Yeah. Um, this the sleeved MLK jerseys with the black and had the wreath uh, right there on the neck neckline. Those were cool too. I kind, I wish they weren't sleeved, and I yeah, wish I Nike, one of those. Nike made them. So yeah, yeah. I've got I've got a Mike Conley one of those. I thought they were cool. The, the eye and the man ones were cool too. Just really clean, black and white. A yeah. little bit Brooklyn Netsy, but not but so clean that it you know didn't even steer into that. Yeah. Um, so I, I agree that we've had a lot of good jerseys. I mean, I, I've been very happy with what the, the Grizzlies has done. I don't know who decides that or who designs them. Obviously, now we're doing throwbacks. That's easy. But in their interim, they had to come up with shit. It's a partnership between the Grizzlies creative team and the league and Adidas or Nike. So it, it's kind of collaborative. The, the Grizzlies team doesn't get to take it and run with it, but they they do get to give the inspirational ideas and the reasons for you know, like the I am a man, like they, yep. they, I'm sure they fed that to them. And then the final design was from Nike. 
some other teams dropped some jerseys. The, speaking of the Nets, I know they had one that I saw floating around Twitter that I thought was terrible. And then the Pelicans had one that I thought was just completely terrible as well. I mean, New Orleans is a city with so, with so much culture and just like they, they could have done anything with it. Like you got the Mardi Gras colors and sure, maybe it gets played out, but they haven't even really made a good Mardi Gras jersey yet. No, they have a lot of opportunities. I haven't seen another jersey that I loved. I, I like the Nets ones, actually, but I get how you wouldn't. Um, yeah, I, uh, I didn't see any ones I loved. And I, I think unless Zach has a jersey he wants to shout out, uh, we can move into the upcoming dates that we have. We have we have dates that have been posed by the NBA. We have somewhat of an idea of what this might look like going into next season with the weird middle of October finals finish. Um, for the past couple weeks, beginning on October 16th, teams were conducting in-person interviews with draft prospects. That goes until the middle of this month, shortly before the draft. We've seen Zoom interviews. Some guys have been able to go to the facilities, work out. Uh, some workouts have been digital. It's been a whole weird process, but the teams have been basically doing all this shit for you know many months now, especially these teams that are picking high because obviously they were not in the bubble. So they've been doing a nine-month a nine or 10 month level of analysis. A lot of people are worried that it's going to be paralysis by analysis. And we're going to have teams fuck up a lot because they're overthinking. Um, and I, I don't know uh, what, what to say about that, but that's just been an interesting wrinkle here. November 18th, 2020 NBA draft moved from obviously June when it usually is um, free agency starting November 20th, two days after that. So like fucking tuck your dick in and get running, man. Cause like you know, these, these front offices are going to be working their asses off over ho the holidays uh, and in a time where they would normally just kind of be kicking off the beginning of a season and not doing a whole lot in terms of, you know, the kind of the flow of a season. Um, and then the December one is the proposed start date to begin training camps for the upcoming season. And December 22nd is proposed opening night for the 2021 season. The NBA has identified that date because for mostly they don't think that next season they're ever really going to have fans. Uh, they think that next season is basically a wash. And what they've circled is the 21-22 season where they could theoretically get back where they want to be starting the season when they typically would maybe a little later um, to not compete with football as much. They're tinkering with that and but essentially getting back to a somewhat of a norm. Um, but just starting this season in order to recoup the media rights stuff, which is a bulk of their income as well. If they can't have fans, they want to make sure they recoup all of their media contract revenue. So that was the notion of starting sooner. Originally, people were talking MLK Day. People were talking March. But those were premised on the notion of getting people back in stance. But now, because no one knows anything about when this is going to be resolved, uh, and if anyone says they do, then they're lying to you basically until there's a, a vaccine that's mass produced. Uh, I don't know if we'll see fans in the stadium for a while. What does, you know, what do you guys think of, I, I know that that Mason is skeptical about this December 22nd start date. Now, of course, it's just proposed by the league, has to pass muster by the NBA Players Association uh, with Michelle Roberts he helming that. And, you know, that essentially it becomes a collaborative discussion between the players represented by Michelle Roberts and their interests and then Adam Silver and the league itself. And, you know, it's kind of like a, a court process, really figuring out what will happen, but you seem to think that that won't happen and it'll be a later date. Why do you think that? Well, I just think all the dates you just ran through, I mean, it's such a rush. I mean, it's going to be tough to right after the draft, go into free agency and sure the teams have had plenty of time, but um, you know, I, it, it's not unheard of that people will make mistakes that they're going to reg regret and set their franchises back for, you know, several years. 
um, which is not a good thing across the board for the NBA. Um, and then I just I feel like you don't want to go against football anyway. So starting in December, you're going against football for basically two months uh, or the rest of December, some of February and then Jan- all of January. Whereas if you push it back to January, one, it gives the players who went long in the bubble more of an off season. I know, um, you know, there's eight teams who haven't played since March or whatever, but I mean, that's their fault. Um, so you give the players more time to rest. You get more TV slots uh, that aren't competing with football. And then you have that break before baseball gets started in April, usually. Um, and then you're going against regular season baseball up until and if you can finish by August, that's kind of when postseason baseball starts. So you can still dominate the summer for the most part, like you normally do. And then if you finish in August, you can take the rest of August, September, some of October, then mid to late October, you start your training camp. Then for the 21-22 season, you get started mid-November, early November. You already talked about pushing that date back some to not compete with football as much as possible. So I just think that makes more sense. Um, But I do understand it's a bargaining thing and the 72 games fulfills local TV requirements. So that is why the NBA is aiming for that because it is a significant amount of money. Like I want to say it's just shy of a billion dollars in in total player salaries. So at the end of the day, if the owners and the league play hardball, which they might, but typically that's not how the NBA works. Usually they're pretty amicable on both sides and we can get to a resolution that, Uh, is best for both parties. And of course, fulfilling that TV contract will be best for both parties. So it's just going to be a matter of if, you know, the league thinks that they can still start, still accomplish what they want to accomplish if they move it back, the start date back into January, which I think there, there's a way to do that. And in the long run, I think it might still benefit the league because of less competition with football. Yeah. I think their, their real goal is to end the season kind of when they normally end it. Um, in June and truly get back on the, the the exact same schedule and and then which you said yeah you could push it back into August and that's true and then but if they the do that to, to compete with the Olympics is like a thing well. that everyone brings up I don't know how much that anyone actually cares about that I, I I don't know I I it's definitely something though and it's something that you're competing against also that's something that you're you know like one your MVP two-time MVP of the league is a you know a huge factor in that and also likes to play for his country in that um, and you know, Lou go to so like wh- whatever. Like, hey, hey, the Bucks gonna be out of playoffs anyway. <laughs> there you go. So he used that as a time to throw a little shade at my boy Giannis. Not to one, uh, I, I mean, I, I obviously as a basketball fan, the sooner the better. I mean, that's me selfishly as a consumer of this, and and I will say that I have little to no empathy with um, that with come with starting then as opposed to a month later in terms of player time off. Um, unless someone could show me that it's like medically ridiculous to do that. Uh, I think that it is going to suck for the players that played late uh, in terms of they won't have as much vacation time and that stinks uh, and they won't be able to go to wherever they go. But, you know, that stinks and we're in a pandemic and people have had to make sacrifices. And if it makes sense for the league at large, because I, I don't know if there's anyone except for those two teams that's going to complain as much about how late they played. And that makes sense. But one of those teams has LeBron James on it. He's one of the loudest 
guys in the NBA for obvious reasons. And he honestly rallies a lot of the NBA. So if he says we're not going to play, we can see what happens. But I think a lot of guys probably do want to start earlier um, and just kind of get back on some sense of normalcy. You know, not only those eight teams, but think about the Grizzlies who haven't played now for, you know, three months. And I mean, we even saw some of the guys tweeting like that start date they were excited about. So they, I think they're, they're anxious to play. Um, and the, you know, the, and I don't even know how the heat feel about it, but they got a bunch of young legs. So we'll see, but I don't, I'm not really like opposed to anything. Um, particularly if there's reason discussion about it, but I don't think that we're going to see like a ton of injuries suddenly because they start on December 22nd instead of January 21st. But I don't know. that. I'm not a sports professional. Well, it's not the start date. It's how you fit the games within the schedule. There's going to be right. a lot more back-to-backs, maybe four games in five nights, which goes against everything the NBA has worked towards. So, you know, it's starting. Well, I thought, that, I thought that that's why they wanted to start on the 22nd a month earlier than that January date and still with the purpose of ending in June. So that way they could have the sufficient space. Cause if they started on January and wanted to end when they planned to end before the Olympics, then that's what would create the, the crazy amount of games in a small amount of time. So start because they really seem to want to end at that time. That's kind of like the consistent desire and the start date's been kind of like, well, we don't know. So that's the thing. Is it like maybe that's going to be a problem? I think if they do start early, they're going to really have to relax on the like player rest rules you know, last year it was pretty strict where oh, they're pretty you know, damn you, relaxed, man. Yeah, you well, you you can get <laughs> fined if you like your guy sits while he's on the road instead of it, and you could have sat him when you were at home. The, all that kind of load management stuff. I think they're going to pretty much have to throw all that out the window and say like, you got to you know take care of your players and whatever means necessary just to get this season rolling. That might be some concession that they have to give up that on the side of the league. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if it's worth it to um, start early and have these stars sit out yeah, multiple games or if starting later and then going beyond or to the Olympics and if you're able to stretch out those games a little more and the stars don't sit out. I don't know what that physical impact is or how that's even measured. Oh, um, with media rights, it's not. You know, the, the star sitting is more of a like a fan thing. You, like a, yeah. you're not getting – yeah, so that that really kind of still satisfies that, and, and I don't know, man. Like, I, they need to relax it. I don't know if we'll see more stars sit out that aren't named LeBron James. And honestly, he does that anyway. Uh, I don't even know if Kawhi and Paul George are going to do it as much this season after what we saw last season. You know, I think that there's kind of this whole contingent that's like, well, wait a minute, like, sure, you're, you'll be fresh in the playoffs, but if you don't have any team synergy and y'all can't play together as a team because you haven't played the season, which his intention is to get you ready for the playoffs, then what was the fucking point anyway? So, I mean, I don't know. Like, uh, I, I think we'll see a lot more stars try to play on these these kind of new teams. If we see even more trades and more like, you know, the 76ers are not going to be this team next season. Um, they're going to be a wholly different team. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. I, it's impossible to predict, but I don't have like a hard stance on anything. I will say if December 22nd is the date, I'm not going to be like, this is horrible. The players deserve better um, for, you know, all, all the reasons that I think we discussed. But Ultimately, like they'll get to the right conclusion. I think they usually do. Hey, man, LeBron set four games this year. Direct that energy at Kawhi. <laughs> <laughs> he, but, LeBron, but LeBron plays like he minute manages. He's very smart with it. I'm not talking shit about it. He's always been yeah. extremely smart about how he manages his body throughout the season. Um, and I, I, I think that he played a lot of first halves. And, you know, honestly, the Lakers were just so good that, that he didn't have to play a lot of second halves with, in terms of regular season basketball. So props to him. It wasn't a knock, but – Kawhi and, and Paul George, that's a knock because they <laughs> we saw them flame yeah. the fuck out. 
That was hot yeah. on the trigger, Mace. That was quick research there, man. I saw him. I, yeah, I saw him with the phone lighting up his face, and I was like, "All right, well, what do we got here?" I was like, "I'll he's talk zoned- for a little extra longer to let him finish his research." Yeah, he's zoned in, like plugged in yeah. really quickly on that. Hey, he's no like slander. in the Matrix. Like, I need to learn Pai Chi, and he's like, <laughs> uh, "All right." So, do we have any more comments about the the season schedule? And if not, we can move to our top three pick. I do want to give a shout out to. Jeffrey Cruz, who followed us on the Barn Burner YouTube channel uh, this past week. So shout out to you, Jeffrey. You asked for it. There you go, man. We appreciate you and hope you enjoy this show and the shout out. Jeffrey, shout out to you, man. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you taking the time to check us out. And uh, hopefully you can tell other people about it as well. All right, let's get into this draft. All right, so here's the rules. Um we're going to draft – there's three of us on the show. We're going to draft the top three picks, uh, of which there's been a lot of discussion about who's going there. Um, if, if any of the consensus top three guys are actually going to go there, we are going to draft as the actual teams that are at the one, two, and three spot. In this case, Minnesota, Golden State, then the Hornets at number three. We're going to select the draft order by a random number generator. So please, on the show live right now, Mason, pick a number between one and ten. Six. Zach. Five. And I'm going to pick 10. I'm hitting generate now. It is three. So, Zach, you were, you were at five, I believe? Yeah. Yes. So, Zach picks first. Mason picks second. Ooh. I pick third. Zach, you are now sitting with the Minnesota Timberwolves GM. Uh, you have on your roster Carl Anthony Towns, D'Lo are the top two pieces probably. You got Malik Beasley. You got Malik Beasley's weed dealer. Um, you've got uh, Jared Culver and Nas Reed or some other names. Uh, what, what are you doing with the number one overall pick if you're the Minnesota Timberwolves? Dang, I was really hoping not to have to go first. That's, that's like a <laughs> lot of pressure. So and that's honestly, just, before just you just pick, that's my... kind of the rub here is like that. I mean, it's a lot of pressure because this this is a tough draft. Based off my gut right there, it would say to trade the freaking thing so I don't have to make the pick. But uh, in the spirit of – in the spirit of the exercise, um, I think that I – let's pull up a big board, give it another little peruse. So we got we got Carl Anthony Towns. So James Wiseman, that's pretty redundant. There's really – I don't see a need unless you're automatically got a buyer for him to pick up Wiseman. Uh, that's, that's a tough hang there. Uh, as far as – you know, primary ball handlers. We got we got D'Lo, and we also have Culver, who handles a lot of those duties as well. So you're pretty good there. I'm thinking wing score is probably. Imagine that a wing score, a team meeting another. <laughs> no wing one needs score. those, That's, dude. You have, yeah. <laughs> dude. You te- you have uh, you have Malik Beasley. You, you don't need wing score. Man, you can always use more. <laughs> That's what Let's Malik see. said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, with that, with, with that, uh, with that, with that, all that analysis said, who are you selecting? So I'm gonna go with, even though he made some strange comments this week. I don't know if you saw. Uh, he was interviewed, this gentleman, and he said that he has been living in a pandemic his whole life, or he was born into a pandemic because he's always trying to get better. Anthony Edwards shooting guard out of Georgia is who I'm going to pick number one overall. Who do you, what, what do you like out of Anthony Edwards and what do you dislike? I will say his comments 
could be perceived as being very wise. Um, uh, and I, I wonder what the, you know, what he meant. I think I've been living in a pandemic my whole life, man. Hits blunt once is like some shit I could definitely say. Um, not that I'm wise, but I could just could see it coming out of my mouth. Uh, what, what do you like about that pick uh, if you're the Minnesota Timberwolves? So first, I've been able to have eyes on him more so than a lot of the guys. I wasn't able to make the trips uh, overseas to scout some of this other talent. Timberwolves backdoor budget. cut budget's not great. Our scouting budget, you know. The, the backdoor cut and yeah. the Timberwolves budget was just down this year. You know, the pandemic really hit our, hit our bottom line pretty heavy. But Ed- Edwards, he has – lightning in a bottle potential from a scoring ability. He can shoot from deep. He's big guy. So he can bully his way when needed. Uh, some concerns are he seems to just completely check out sometimes. So keeping him on track and focused could be, uh, could be an issue, but we'll, we're going to take the risk here um, and go with him. All right. All right. I, uh, I think that's some reasoned analysis. Uh, we'll see what happens on draft night. Mason, you're sitting at number two. You're the Golden State Warriors, and you were Bob Myers, perhaps the most handsome GM in the league. Um, you have Steph, Clay uh, coming off injuries on your roster as well. You have Draymond Green as well. The big three still there, getting a little older, but they're still there. Then you've also got Andrew Wiggins on the wing. You've got a lot of max contracts on your books right now. And you've got some pieces around that, but that's the bulk of your money and the bulk of your roster. What are you doing at number two? Speaking of uh, Andrew Wiggins, Timberwolves fans have got to be rolling over in their grave with uh, Anthony Edwards and Andrew Wiggins comparisons. You know, these wing scorers who show up 20% of the time and can't actually score. (laughs) Like, Jesus Christ. Mm. Of all all years for the T-Wolves to have the number one pick. Uh, not not very exciting at the top of the draft. And, Zach, I'm glad you didn't pick um, James Wiseman, who a lot of people have number one Ooh. on their big board, because according to Brian Windhorst, James Wiseman does not want to come to Minnesota because Carl Towns is there. From what I understand, Wiseman doesn't even Logic. want to do anything with the Wolves. And, I mean, does anybody want to do anything with the Wolves except maybe Devin Booker <laughs> to go play with D'Lo and Cat? Um, But anyways, back to the second pick for the Warriors. If the Warriors keep this pick, um, I don't think, you know, LaMelo Ball really makes sense. Maybe you can make the case that he gets to come in and play behind some great guards and kind of learn how to play in the NBA and how his game can fit without having a whole lot of pressure. Wait a minute. Yeah, Hang on. What if, you know, you slot LaMelo at number one and then you have Steph and Clay off ball. You know, we haven't seen Steph be off ball in a while. He's a little older. Maybe take the ball out of his hands a little bit and just let LaMelo make those flashy passes he's known for. Play Wiggins at the four, Draymond at the five, just sell in on small ball. What is there a case there? I mean, it, you know, that to have LaMelo not have to do too much and be able to throw his patented hook passes to two of the greatest shooters perhaps to ever play the game. If you want to make that case, I'm, I'm sure there is a case there, but I ain't making it. And, right. uh, and you're Bob Meyer. And that team's giving up, you know, at least 130 points a game. So uh, I can't do it. But as much as I like Onyeka Okongwu, I'm going to go with James Wiseman for the just unlimited upside he possesses. Uh, I think it's a good fit. Shot blocking, rim running. Uh, Hopefully defensive-minded big man that we can kind of mold into and not going to be needed to play in the clutch anyways because we're going to move Draymond to center. It's kind of a project. Maybe he has a good season and we trade him for more pieces that help us win immediately. 
Um, or maybe he is the five man of the future for this team and kind of helps us transition from the Splash Bros into the future when it's that time in six, seven years. So what I think it's probably we're, we're all based in Memphis and we are Memphis grads. So we watch Wiseman in a limited amount of games for Memphis, but watch him in high school and kind of followed his career as well. Probably more so than the average NBA fans. Um, I think that's probably best case scenario for him in terms of where to be drafted. And I think yeah. he's a kid that is very pending. His career is very much pending where he gets drafted and what he, the players he gets to go around the culture he goes into. There's maybe none better than golden state's culture in terms mm-hmm. of the money they're willing to spend, the facilities, um, the players they have around. I think he could do well. And I think if he has a ceiling, he'll reach it at Golden State. So I, I honestly have to imagine he's probably wanting to go there as well. Um, and his, if you you know, if you know shot him with true serum and asked him, uh, he'd, he'd say that'd be awesome. Um, it, it he's already sort of gaming the system. It seems to be the best fit out of the top three teams who are selecting um, based on the top you know, five almost big boards. Sure. Um, I am at number three. I am the Hornets, uh, which is a, a really, really tough situation to be in because the Hornets have a lot of interesting guys in their roster, but they just have no stars. They have no one that they could put on a banner. They have no one that could put a, an ass in a seat specifically for that player. Um, they have Scary Terry, of course. They, they signed on a, a nearly max deal from Boston. Terry Rozier, P.J. Washington, a nice rookie out of Kentucky who showed a lot of great signs of life last season. Devontae Graham, of course, which was I think was many of our most improved players, went to a nearly 20-point-per-game score this year and really showed ability to put the ball in the bucket. Uh, and then you know Malik Monk I have on here, too. I, for some reason, I haven't forgotten about him deep in the rotation. I think a little bit miscast on this team. Uh, I think could, he could still find a, uh, a life somewhere, um, even though he's not the type of guy I would typically really support. But this is a team that just that needs somebody to, to hang a banner for. They need some life. They need some buzz, no pun intended, in the arena. Uh, and, and with that, I think they need to select LaMelo Ball with the number third overall pick. Um, I think if LaMelo fell to them at three, they would be ecstatic. Uh, I think he immediately brings the, the ball train to Charlotte, um, which for better or for worse, the team could use a jolt of electricity. And I think LaMelo, you know, he might have 10 assists in a game, but also 10 turnovers. Uh, but those, all of those 10 assists will be highlight reels. Uh, six, seven point guard, you know, of course, played some ball internationally uh, and then is the little brother of uh, Lonzo Ball. The top three we just selected is basically the top three in every single big board in some order. Uh, yes. And it seems to be that most of the consensus is that LaMelo probably has the highest ceiling in terms of like he could truly be like a franchise all star point guard or he could be awful. Um, Anthony Edwards is going to be a guy that's always going to score, but the question is, is he Josh Smith or Andrew Wiggins, or is he, you know, like a more of like a T Mac or like a, you know, just a, a more of a bruising like Devin Booker, not Devin Booker in terms of bruising, but like a legitimate all star. Um, and then Wiseman could be a franchise center, but that's kind of in a league where it's not as much of a, a thing. And the question is, will he ever be able to shoot jump shots to the level that he needs to be in order to be a franchise center and all star? Um, so I think they would probably be like stupid to not select LaMelo if he dropped there to them. But people are talking about Melo going to seven, eight, nine because he's kind of immature. His dad, um, he's been basically a celebrity since he was 12, and I can't fathom the effect that has on someone. But just giving him the keys there in Charlotte, it's something they need to do. They, they just cannot miss here. Uh, and, and if you don't draft LaMelo uh, and draft like a, a safer pick, like a Halliburton 
or you know they they uh, go down and draft the uh, that center out of USC that you mentioned, Mason, um, or uh, or the uh, the kid out of Dayton. I just don't know if that's the smart pick. Uh, what do you guys think of Lamelo and Charlotte? Yeah, I think your comment about needing a jolt of life just to kind of like help them be a relevant franchise because. I mean, how often are you talking about Charlotte and literally any conversation about the NBA? Unless you're and that's because like we're Memphis this. fans. It's not like we're, you know, I mean, so, I, but I do yeah. feel like Charlotte's a team where I can be, I can kind of talk a little bit of shit. Um, like, no, when, no one was talking about us until we got Jaw. Like, let's be yeah. honest. Even, even with Jaron Jackson, people were not outside of Memphis that excited about him. They would just, you know, point out he fouls a ton, doesn't stay on the court enough. He, he's a solid player, but he's not electrifying like Morant is. And that's Lob called him Anthony Davis that. light or something. Remember that? Lob called him Anthony Davis Jr. after he had 37 on the Nets. I remember that because we never get any shine. But anyway, yeah. sorry, Zach. No, yeah, but so, I mean, Ball having that, you know, shine factor, th- there's something there to be said about it. And don't we want to see MJ and um, – <laughs> What's was uh, Daddy Ball? Levar, Levar, the one-on-one matchup. We've all been waiting for. That happens on draft night, right? (laughs) There's that pay-per-view later. It almost Um, like right, just that night they just they 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 throw to on ESPN. They throw directly to Charlotte and just have Levar like fully playing MJ one-on-one. Like, be fucking amazing. Then MJ beats him, and Lavar has to go to Moron Mountain for the next seven years for the <laughs> extent of the contract. Until uh, John Morant heads up uh, Helm Space Jam Three, written and directed yeah. by me. And then Lavar has a chance to come back. So. Uh, yeah, I I don't know what to make of this kid. I mean, I, like everyone, like I've seen the YouTube highlights of him over there. Where was he? New Zealand or Australia? One of those countries. Australia. Yeah. Yeah, and and like yes, I mean you get it. He has all the tools. He's tall as hell. He can. I mean, it's a. It, it really, if he ever puts a consistent jumper together, who knows? And and we could all be laughing at ourselves forever, thinking that he was going to be a bust in five years. That's the nature of the draft, and it's like that's what's so fucking annoying about it. I can't imagine being a GM with the high pick in this draft because you have so many opportunities. What do you think the likely outcome is uh, if uh, you think that these guys are trading down? You think? Golden State trades the pick. What what do you think is going to happen, Mason? Um, I, I like Kevin Connors' idea of Minnesota trading down with for Charlotte. Uh, so Charlotte jumps to number one and then also gives Minnesota a future first. And uh, I could see them taking Wiseman uh, with the number one overall pick. Not you think a, Charlotte's targeting Wiseman to that level? Like would, uh, would pick him over LaMelo at number one? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think so. I mean, but Charlotte, it's just like you've got a little bit of everything, but you also need everything. Like yeah. you have no yeah. superstars. You have backups for every every position, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like, hey, can we trade three if we're Charlotte for like nine and 16 or whatever from the Celtics? Um, so the Celtics maybe get their guy and then we can just acquire a talent, acquire more talent for our team. Because, I mean, although they overperformed last year, uh, you know, they're, they're not set up for long-term success currently. Uh, so in Minnesota, I mean, you, you're not excited about taking Anthony Edwards with that crew, yeah, that but stinks, then, man. 
But then who are you excited about taking with that crew? And the one guy you were excited about just came up in the news for all the wrong reasons. You know, acquiring Malik Beasley was a big deal for them and was supposed to be a scorer next to D'Angelo. So I I don't really see the path forward for Minnesota, you know, until it's time to trade Cat. <laughs> and then you just start all over again. Yeah, I, I they're like the the team that I would be most sad to have rich to still be rich. Like they have riches, you know, they have two all-stars in their team. Uh, they have a, a number one overall pick and all their, their all-stars are both like under 25. I mean, that's like theoretically should be, they should be super the next, excited yeah, about that. It, it is, it is what we would hope to, you know, is what we hope is us in, in next year, the next. And yeah, I, like, I just, I it really, really be awful. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be a fucking fray though. I think there's gonna be a lot of trades. There's gonna be a lot of action on draft night. Should be really fun to watch. So I'm looking forward to watching it. I watch it every year, but everyone's comparing this 2013 Anthony Bennett, number one overall pick. Like, I mean, I, I, I could see some crazy ass shit like that happening. Um, but the point is, I think that I don't think that anybody likes any of these guys so much where they're willing to trade up to these top three positions to get them kind of deal. Yeah. So there might not be that sort of stuff going on. Maybe Charlotte does to get up to one to take Wiseman. Um, but also maybe they're thinking he makes it down to them at three. So I don't know. Yeah. Of course, the Warriors in Minnesota are going to do everything in their power to try to say they're going to take whoever they think the people below them want. And in fact, the Warriors have said they like everybody. It's been yeah. a joke is that they've and, written and, articles about every single guy. At this point, it's all posturing. And right. I mean, but there's so much uncertainty. Like there's some teams who like uh, a Kongwu from USC more than Wiseman. There's some like Kevin O'Connor has Killian Hayes as his number one on his big board, who is just a, a wild card that is from Germany, I believe. And not a lot France. of people know France. OK. And, and no one really knows anything about um, how his game's going to translate. But he could be the best player. You got Halliburton. You got the Kentucky guys. Um, Obi Toppin, who was the best player in college basketball probably last year. You know, there's. It seems like those in like the four through fifteen range are are the ones who are kind of like, yeah, we can take our pick because there's a lot of guys right here who could pan out. Um, and a lot of the draft experts seem to think the middle of and late first round are is a strength of this draft and maybe better so than you know the previous few drafts uh, in that range is just lacking the star power. So maybe we see teams just say, hey, I want Devin Vassell at number two. Maybe that's what the Warriors do, you know, like a, a lengthy wing guy. Um, so it, who the fuck knows what's going to happen? It should be a lot of fun. And with yeah. free agency happening back to back, I mean, it's just going to be fireworks, baby. And uh, you hope that hey, the NBA has the same appeal as it does when this is happening on July 1st versus in the middle of the NFL and college football season. What day, the 18th, what, what day is that of the week? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. November 18th is a Wednesday, so there's no football. Mm. Obviously pur purposeful, obviously. Try yeah. to catch ESPN, have the show. I don't know if they'll do the probably do the video drafts. Um, obviously won't have like the Madison Square Garden draft that's become yeah. famous. So it'll be different, but NFL managed to make that somewhat fun. But that was back when none of us had shit to do. So um, <laughs> now we're just all doing whatever and everyone's getting Corona again. Shout out second wave. Yeah, we might be closed down by then. Who knows? Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. Does anyone else have any other NBA talk before we end the show? We appreciate you listening to the Backdoor Cut. Any uh, parting thoughts, anybody? Don't get caught selling drugs. <laughs>
Suck yeah, it, don't that. Do <laughs> <laughs> don't get caught still on drugs. Shout out Dash Radio, nothing but net channel. And uh, check us out. We're the Grizzly Show on your Nothing But Net channel. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone.